I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 89, Star Trek Picard. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here once again, and this is a show topic week. And this week we're talking about Star Trek Picard, and it's one of those uh, shows that I've been anticipating for a long time. I couldn't wait to get in on it. So actually, our discussion pretty much covers you know most of what's aired since it's a week to week show, not a Netflix show like we've seemed to be doing lately. So, what'd you think, Dave? You're not a huge uh, Star Trek aficionado but you've seen enough to know what's going on i assume yeah um pretty much and and you know as you said i I don't know that there's been a more anticipated show over the past year or so and, and i certainly understand why and you know there was some discussion in the facebook group about picard and i haven't done a lot of reading on the internet in terms of reviews and groups and things like that but i did see the words haters and trolls (laughs) but i just hope everybody knows me enough at this point that i'm neither a hater nor a troll it's just that for me i grew up watching reruns of the original star trek james kirk is my captain right (laughs) then when next generation came on the air i really wasn't watching television much at all for a number of reasons when I came back to it, I tried to watch season one and I got 10 episodes in and it just doesn't do it for me. No, I don't, I don't blame you. (laughs) And now watching Picard, I feel like I'm back in the 1990s again with the dialogue and the delivery of the characters. And, you know, I don't hate Jean-Luc Picard. It's just that he just doesn't do it for me. So I'm trying to judge these two episodes we're going to talk about tonight as someone who is virtually new to next generation and go from there. Yeah. And I think that's a healthy way to approach it, even for people who are fans of the old series, because this is such a different flavor to the next generation. And of course, everyone listening to Dave give that opinion there realizes that judging the Star Trek spinoffs by season one of the next generation (laughs) is about as unfair as you can get. But what's interesting I found when I was watching this version of the story is that it's got a mixture of a lot of different things, not only different pieces of the Star Trek universe, if you will, but also kind of a little flavor of the Mandalorian and Star Wars, (laughs) you know, with the different rogues and ruffians and people that Picard encounters. Plus of course the planetary feel for a good majority of this, it's not as in space as the television shows were. 
Right. And I guess that's sort of my problem that it feels dated to me. I, I think of shows like The Expanse, Dark Matter, Killjoys, contemporary space-based shows that just have a completely different feel. And I'm not necessarily interested in going into the past in the present. Now, that said, when the X-Files returned, <laughs> the fanboy that I am, I bought into it. I, I don't care what criticisms. I love Scully and Mulder. So I get it. That, that's you know, It's just that for me, next generation is not my thing. Well, I'm hoping that you'll latch on to a couple of the characters along the way, besides Picard, who obviously has certain associations for you. But yeah, this is the age of the reboot, so they do have to sort of update it for the current time period, and I think they succeeded in that respect. But if you're not certain about the premise of this show, I want to go over a couple of things, because I think they brilliantly wove together a couple of different pieces, not only from Star Trek The Next Generation, but from the Kelvin universe of the Star Trek reboot with Chris Pine and the rest of them, and a little bit of Star Trek Nemesis as well, which was the last movie that starred the cast of The Next Generation. And of course, Patrick Stewart was in that one as well. So that's what I think really works well, is they're able to take different pieces and give nods to those things without making you have to watch those in order to understand what's going on. But one thing that was from the Star Trek, the next generation episode, which is called all good things, which does show a future Picard in a vineyard. Sure enough here in <laughs> Star Trek Picard, he's retired from Starfleet. He owns a vineyard. I think it's his family's vineyard. He had just inherited it and he's working the farm along with a couple of helpers Romulan helpers, a, a cook and a gardener, it appears at first. Their names are Laris and Jaban, and they are apparently refugees from a much-referred-to supernova event in the Romulan system. And, of course, that little bit of history comes from the 2009 film, which was referenced by Ambassador Spock in that film. So you've got that piece as well. And then, of course, he seems restless. He's having dreams involving his android friend Data. And you immediately get the impression that Data is no longer around. And that little bit of information is, of course, from Star Trek Nemesis, where he sacrificed his life to save Captain Picard. So that's what I think is just really brilliant about the premise of the show is they're able to take these disparate elements and put them together into a premise for this new show. Okay, and that was one of the things that I don't want to say I was confused by it because I I think I was picking up on it, but having not seen either of the films for quite a while, he saved the Romulans or he went against orders, and that's in part why uh, he's not looked upon as highly at Starfleet. Did I? Yeah, you got that? that's part of it. So let's go over what's going on here because, of course. You have to infer some of the things that happened in between, but of course the Romulans are, you know, mortal enemies of the Federation. But when you've got an entire race of people being threatened by a supernova in their star system, and they've got to evacuate the entire planet with millions and millions of people, you know, you're going to come to the humanitarian aid, even to an enemy. At least that's Jean-Luc Picard's view. So, but it's going to be a controversial choice, but it's going to be made even more controversial when you have a sudden AI revolt on Mars 
in the shipyards where the rescue ships for the Romulan evacuation are being built. And Mars is just burnt to the ground by just a bunch of androids going rogue. And there's no explanation for it. But of course, that's going to kill the Romulan rescue right at the start. So it's almost like it's a domestic issues versus foreign affairs type of debate among, you know, the political set of the Federation and Starfleet and Earth. Yeah. And I guess I was a little surprised that he hadn't earned enough cachet to even get beyond that. Although we'll talk about it in a second when he comes in and maybe demand is too strong a word, but (laughs) he expects, he expects. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the best scenes actually when he goes in there and, and tries to get reinstated. But at this point he's disillusioned. He thinks that Starfleet abandoned a race in need enemy or not. And plus he knows that all synthetics aren't bad because data is one of his best friends and confidants. And now AIs are banned. No more synthetics are allowed to be built. No research into them at all. And he has retired from Starfleet and basically written them off. He says it's not Starfleet anymore. And so he's very alienated from his, what what was his life and what we knew him as the entire time we've seen him both on television and movies prior to this. So that kind of sets the stage for what's to come. But I really like the fact that he's already restless. And so, you know, he's about to go on an adventure. (laughs) So I think that's great. Yeah. And you got to understand somebody that lived the life he lived retirement (laughs) at a vineyard probably just doesn't quite cut it. But I also like that they have Laris and Jaban there with him because. Oh, they were great they're able to give him some kick-ass abilities that he wouldn't have on his own at his age. So, and we'll talk about them in a second, because when we set the stage for this, we have Picard agreeing to give an interview uh, on some news channel, I assume, with the understanding that they can't ask any questions about his Romulan rescue efforts and his leaving of Starfleet as well. But the hard-hitting journalist, of course, does anyway, takes advantage of the moment, catches him in a moment of weakness where he actually admits that, It was no longer his Starfleet. And she kind of likens the amount of resources required to rescue all the Romulans to the efforts of building the pyramids, something that, you know, you can't do with a reasonable civilization. You know, the pyramids were built by slaves, of course. But he thinks that Dunkirk is a more apt analogy, and she's never heard of it, which immediately ends the interview. And I thought that was a nice moment as well for someone who obviously is much more intelligent than the average earth journalist, I would think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it really took me back a little bit to for all mankind when, and I can't remember the character's name, but when he gets up and basically says, yeah, it was my fault. I could have landed. We'd have beat the Russians. (laughs) That's right. Sometimes honesty is refreshing, but also can get you in big trouble. And it certainly does here, but Laris and Jaban know and appreciate the scope of what Picard tried to do for this Federation enemy, because they are actually ex Tal Shiar, which is the Romulan intelligence service. So they're secret agents. And so they may seem like they're just household companions coddling him somewhat, but actually uh, their knowledge of spycraft is going to come quite in handy. And then of course we also meet Dodge played by Issa Briones, who I think is doing a great job with this character and the companion character that goes along with Dodge. 
But Daj, at the beginning of episode one, has won a fellowship in AI and quantum computing, which you'd think wouldn't exist anymore. But she's celebrating with her boyfriend when they are attacked by Romulans suited up to be in disguise on Earth. But one of them says she hasn't activated yet and they want to know where she's from. But then, of course, this confrontation does activate her and she becomes a Jason Bourne type, you know, sleeper agent, kills them all and then starts having visions of Picard's face, sees his interview on television, goes to him and tells him she feels safe with him. She's not sure why she doesn't understand what she just did, killing all these rough and tumble men when she's just an academic for all intents and purposes. But she, even when she feels safe with Picard, she runs off before morning. And now Picard is wondering, who is this woman? Why has she entered my life? Right. And of course, at this point, we aren't privy to the big reveal. So we're all thinking that this is just some sort of, as you said, sleeper agent takes me back to dollhouse when Melly <laughs> is activated and, you know, kills everybody that's in her apartment. So it's a really great scene. And, you know, you mentioned at the top of the discussion, were there any characters that that I really did feel an affinity towards? And certainly Dodge is one and and. Uh, another character that we'll get to in a minute for uh, obvious reasons. But I do love the two Romulans that, that live with Picard. It's clear they take care of him and he acknowledges the fact that he needs them on multiple levels. Yeah. They even act as his investigators too, with their forensic knowledge as well. But Yeah, I really like how this pans out. And of course, we're going to only talk about the first two episodes in the main part of the podcast. I did save a little bit of spoilery questions to ask in our spoiler zone. Three or four days ago. So I want to make sure those of you who have not seen episode three yet have that in the spoiler zone to be safe. So we're just going to be talking about the first two as is our want. But Picard's increasingly troublesome dreams do remind him, even after Dodge has left, that he's seen this face before, and he actually goes to the Starfleet archives. He's got some things in storage over there, and he looks at a painting that Data made for him, and it's got her face on it. He's got one hanging in the farmhouse as well, with the woman turned away, but its companion painting is just like it, except face turned towards the viewer and it's clearly Dodge. So he knows that this has something to do with data. Right. And can I just say it's brilliant how they handle data because obviously in real life, the actor has put on a pound or two (laughs) since next generation. So we only at this point see data in Picard's dreams. And we certainly can explain the fact that this data is a bit bigger and heavier than the data we know is just his mind and, and constructing the vision in his dreams. Yeah. And I also, I think they must've put some facial prosthetics on him a bit to, to hide his wrinkles. I'm not sure, but the, the, uh, contacts were particularly disturbing in fact, but yeah, we do see him and it's nice to see him again. We have apparently some other people from the next generation to look forward to, but that has not reached air yet. So I'm looking forward to those in the future. But in the meantime, we've got Daj in Paris feeling lost. She calls her mother who insists that she find Picard, which I found interesting 
because of course this can't be her biological mother. And she's insisting that Dodge kind of follow her programming. It seems like, because she does go into super speed hacking mode. It seems like to find Picard outside of the archives. He even tells her that she shouldn't have been able to find him without some kind of security access, but he now knows what she is because data called the painting that has her face on it daughter. So he thinks this must be some creation sprung from data. Was she created? And if so, by whom? Because she herself thinks she's human. So I thought that was very interesting, but she actually now is going to be very dear to Picard. He tells her wants to take her to Daystrom in Okinawa, which I believe is where data was created And that also happens to be where she was accepted as a fellow. So that can't possibly be a coincidence. But of course, that's the moment that we were not expecting. I certainly was surprised to find how final the attack that comes in the next moment is because she is completely destroyed by some kind of substance that not only is a suicide mechanism for the attacking Romulans, but also erases all trace of Dodge's presence or that there was even a crime there. Yeah. And again, it's one of those cases where, wait, I just got introduced to you. I like (laughs) you. And now you're gone. Yeah, exactly. And of course now Picard is on a different scent. He wants to know what happened, how she was created. Could this be possible? And he tells his Romulan friends, back at the farmhouse. I haven't been living. I've been waiting to die. And that I think is a very poignant statement for someone of his age, because he still has some fight left in him. And I think it's great that now he is motivated to do something for his friend, maybe who gave his life for him to, you know, find out a little bit more about this legacy that he left behind. Yeah, I mean, what a powerful admission, and it really does give us some insight into the way he's really, truly feeling, and maybe this is the first time he's admitted it even to himself, but as you said, it's now it's it's a quest to find the origins, and if this is, in fact, Data's daughter, then it's he has to do it. He has to do it, as you said, for the man that saved his life, or for the intelligence that saved his life. <laughs> exactly. Now, is Agnes Gerardi, the person we're going to talk about next, is that who you were thinking of was another character? Or is it someone else that we still haven't talked about that that you latched onto besides Dodge? Uh, uh, somebody else. <laughs> okay. I really liked Agnes Gerardi, the doctor who greets Picard in Okinawa. She's played by Allison Pill of The Newsroom, for those of you who watched that show. And he asks her if Dodge is possible to create. And she's thinking, you know, no, that's that technology is a thousand years off. But the AI division, which she works in, has basically turned into a ghost town. I assume she doesn't really have a whole lot to do (laughs) in this place. And in fact, she does have the data copy B4, which was an earlier version that was referred to back in Star Trek Nemesis that supposedly Data was able to copy himself down into. And they kind of do a little bit of not really retconning of the ending of Star Trek Nemesis, but more a reinterpretation that Data was not able to successfully download himself into B4. 
to basically resurrect himself, but they have before there, and perhaps that created the seeds that they needed to create Dodge. Uh, and a scientist named Bruce Maddox might have been able to do it, according to Dr. Girardi. He came close to reaching data-level AI and then disappeared. Now, that perhaps that could be said it was because of the Mars event, where the AIs turned on everyone and now synthetics are banned, where he had to go into hiding. But Picard now wonders, how could a new synthetic be made from data without his neurons, which were presumably destroyed? But if he can find Maddox, perhaps he'll get an answer to his questions. And Agnes then drops the bombshell on him right at the end of episode one. By the way, these prototypes were always created in pairs. So Dodge should have a twin out there. Uh, of we course can go she does. Find, we'll go find her instead. <laughs> right. And, and there are two characters, actually three, that, that really did make an impression on me and Soji. And I know that's kind of cheating yeah. because it's the, just a twin. But I also love the parallel between using the neurons to create life when we think about the neurons as genetic material. Oh, that's true. In artificial intelligence. Right. And I think they called it positrons in his positronic brain. So, you know, a lot of times Star Trek is accused of using techno babble, but I think uh, it does have a certain amount of internal logic that we have come to know and love from Star Trek over the years. But yeah, Dr. Soji Asher looks just like Dodge. She's out on a Borg cube, it looks like. She's part of the Borg Reclamation Project seeking to study what they call the artifact. They don't call it the cube or the Borg because it's been disconnected from the collective for some reason. And I guess they're there to kind of rehabilitate the former hosts that were people that were captured by the Borg and taken over. You know, she wants to reacclimate them to society. And, and this is part of her career as an anthropologist. So she meets this new guy that showed up on the Borg cube his name is Narek. He's a Romulan as well. He's played by Harry Treadaway, who, if you watched Penny Dreadful, he was Victor Frankenstein. Did you recognize him in his uh, ears and funny eyebrows? <laughs> Absolutely. And he is number two on my list. Okay. Love Harry Treadaway. That's who you were talking about. <laughs> well, there's still one more to go, though. Okay, great. I'm glad you actually latched onto a few. So he has some kind of secret mission, which is not surprising considering he's a Romulan, but Obviously, Soji has not been activated the way Dodge has. So something's going on. We we kind of are on pins and needles to find out what's going to happen to Soji. Will Picard reach her in time? Uh, Narek and Soji do actually start to become involved with each other. She knows he's profiting from exploiting the Borg technology, but she doesn't seem too bothered by it, which I found interesting. And perhaps they're doing it somewhat legitimately. But he actually is higher up in the hierarchy than she has been led to understand. So there's always something in the background where he might just be keeping her close because he knows what she is. So I, I thought it was great though, that Soji seems very comfortable, very satisfied with her employment on this research project. And she even kind of coaxes a newbie through what this place is all about. And basically that newbie serves as our proxy so that she can explain it to us as well. She just kind of blithely says, by the way, if your badge turns green, run. It's like, are you going yeah. to get assimilated by the Borg if you don't? It seems like if it's an inactive cube that you'd be safe, but 
there is that funny sign on the wall that I had to tweet out. This facility has gone 5,843 days without an assimilation. (laughs) Something tells me the Romulans did not put that sign up. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) But Picard is trying to track Soji. He doesn't know her name, but he's trying to track her by going and visiting Dodge's apartment. And this is where Laris's spycraft skills come into play because she's able to use a Romulan forensic trick to kind of replay the attack at her apartment. It kind of reminded me of Continuum. Uh, I don't remember, know if you remember that scene where they were able to <laughs> somehow use the camera technology to replay a murder scene. Do you remember that? Where Carlos was accused of uh, some kind of crime? I think my wife can verify the fact that as I was watching it, I <laughs> yelled out, hey, they stole that from Continuum. Did you? <laughs> I'm yeah. Not oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was a nice little trick. But it appears everything has been wiped but they are able to track down some traces of, and I thought this was really cool. They found some communications on Dodge's computer from Soji because they are aware of each other and that they're sisters, so to speak. But the computer didn't wipe that because it assumed that Soji was Dodge. And so it didn't erase all traces of those communications. I thought that was a neat trick, but they realized that maybe there's something deeper going on and Laris and Jaban do actually have a bit of a debate over whether this black ops group called the Jad Vash actually exists. Some sort of precursor to the Tau Shiar, a myth among Romulan intelligence. But perhaps they are at play here because they have some kind of huge secret that would supposedly break a person's mind. Nobody knows what this secret is, but we do know that Romulan culture hates artificial intelligence fears them. So that possibly could be a part of it and why they might be coming after Dodge and Soji. But as far as we know now, uh, it's just a matter of tracking this twin down before the Jad Vash do. Right. And, and for me, that's part of the difficulty I have coping with all the strange names and trying to keep everything straight in my head. I mean, really, I, probably should have like a little cheat sheet in front of me as I'm watching it. Well, yeah. And you could be forgiven for that. Even the hardcore fans, I think probably had to hit Wikipedia a few times <laughs> while they were watching it. I certainly did. And Jad Vash, I think is, is might be new for Star Trek Picard, but you know, Tal Shiar has been around for a little while. So it's kind of a cool concept that maybe there's this deep state <laughs> in the Romulan empire, but Definitely, they are the ones that are attacking, and I would assume that Narek is part of this organization himself as well. But you mentioned that Picard does go off to try to get reinstated at Starfleet so that he can go looking for Bruce Maddox. And I love the scene where he walks in to Starfleet headquarters and the guy at the front desk doesn't know who he is. Did you see the look that Patrick Stewart gave him? I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Great, great scene. <laughs> that was hilarious. And, and then doesn't he even offer to have his rank lowered? Yeah. From Admiral? I'm yeah, like, I'll, okay. I'll be glad to be demoted to captain. It's like, you know what the Admiral's going to say before she even says it. The unmitigated fucking gall. I love that she actually uses the F word because it is something that we don't expect in our Star Trek. (laughs) No, we don't. 
but it really is something that Picard should have seen coming perhaps. And in fact, the Admiral does go off and, and talk about this crazy visit she got from old man Picard to her chief of security, Commodore O. But we get to see right away that something else might be going on in Starfleet because she tips off a Romulan in disguise named Lieutenant Rizzo and tells her that Picard is looking for Maddox. You've got to be more careful. Get your people in line. And this Rizzo tells her brother, as it turns out, Narek on the board cube, have you found the nest? Has the machine given up the location of its fellow abominations? Which leaves us to speculate, what does she mean? But it also gives us a little bit of confirmation that this has to be the Jadvash and certainly their hatred of synthetics is at play here. But I'm sure it goes much deeper than that. Now, did you recognize Rizzo? I did not. She did look familiar. Do you know who she was? Oh, absolutely. That's my number three. Peyton List is the actress's name, and she was in Colony. Oh, of course. No, Peyton List has been in all kinds of different sci-fi properties. Frequency, Frequency, uh, Gotham, I think a few episodes. Tomorrow People. Right. Now, I don't know how much we're going to see her, but I recognized her right away. And, uh, you know, the whole... (laughs) Romulan undercover. Do the Romulans look less like Romulans that I remember? I thought they had more distinctive features and would have much more difficulty passing as human. Well, no. And of course, we're about to go into the spoiler zone. So I'll go ahead and mention a little bit about that if you like at at that point. But I think that's as good of a transition as we're going to get. So let's go ahead and head into the spoiler zone for some questions that I have that spring up both in episodes one and two, and also a little bit of what we see in season in episode three that might give us a hint as to what's to come. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right. So before we dive in with questions, Dave, I'll just go ahead and address your Rizzo question, because in episode three, we do get to see her in her natural form. She's a brunette. She's got the pointy ears. So this disguise that she has is pretty sophisticated. It's not just a matter of getting some plastic surgery. I think there might be some holographic technology at play here. I mean, remember, this is the show that brought us the holodeck. So (laughs) good point. Good point. So, but yeah, she definitely looks much more like Peyton List in her Romulan form. But some questions that came up as I was watching this series that I can't wait to find out the answers to, if we do, 
One is the necklace that both Dodge and Soji are wearing. It's two linked rings, which of course, you know, kind of indicates the twin aspect of their creation. But is it just a symbol of that? Or is it also, you know, something more? I know they mention during Picard's visit to Dr. Girardi that it's a symbol for fractal neuronic cloning. And it might also remind us of the continuum symbol, not to bring up continuum again, but but I feel like whenever they bring up necklaces like that, don't you think that there's sometimes that trope where the the necklace becomes a key or something that opens a door, <laughs> something like that? Yeah, I do. And and there are a few tropes in the first two episodes and, and possibly the third as well. And and that's okay. All shows resort to them in one form or another. Yeah. I, I think it's how you handle them. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes you need the familiarity that the audience has with those tropes to get the job done. So, But the other question I had is when Dr. Girardi says that Daj's whole history was created three years ago, that basically puts into play this whole aspect of her mother that not only Daj calls, but Soji calls during episode three as well. So were these twins created three years ago, which is almost a decade after all the occurrences of the Mars revolt, as well as the, the rescue effort on Romulus. So I thought that might be a key fact to keep in mind the fact that they're really only three years old, even though they think they've had an entire life behind them. So that was kind of cool. How much do her parents know? Because doesn't it seem like the mother, when it, when she told her on the phone call, go find Picard, it was almost like she was telling her to follow her programming. Like she realized that Dodge had awakened. Yeah, that's a great point because she probably has some idea of what kind of programming her daughter, and I'm making air quotes, <laughs> really has. And almost as if this was an expected event, maybe just didn't know when it was going to occur. And that begs the question, what connection does she have with Bruce Maddox, if any? So I thought I just thought that was an interesting detail because we're off here looking for Bruce Maddox, but there appears to be someone in the know that might be closer at hand. I'm not sure. Then, of course, we do get the news in episode two that Picard's dreams are a result of some parietal lobe issues in his brain that will eventually prove fatal. Now, of course, he's completely prepared for something like that when his doctor tells him this. He's trying to get signed off to head into space again. But I couldn't help but wonder, because they didn't come out right out and say it, perhaps that brain issue he's had is from his time as a Borg himself. Locutus of Borg had some head attachments, some hoses coming out of his head. Perhaps that's causing the condition. And I'm wondering if that's coming into play since we do have a Borg element to this series. Okay. Well, I'll have to trust you on that one. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, I don't think you ever reached that part of yeah, the series. No. <laughs> but yeah, very interesting detail. Now, of course, we do get introduced to some new characters in episode three, not the least of which is Rafi, who we see at the very end of episode two, Picard has been turned down by Starfleet. So now he needs to get a new pilot and who better to get than one of his disgraced companions from his time as the evacuee of Romulus. And Rafi has some bad feelings about this. <laughs> and we also do get her to come on board eventually, which I guess we're predicting. She's got her pilot Rios that she introduces Picard to, 
We also know that eventually Dr. Jurati is going to become part of the crew. And so here you've got this nice ragtag crew. I think they have a lot of chemistry right from the start. They are headed to Free Cloud, which apparently Rafi stumbled upon in her research as to where Maddox might be. But very interestingly, Rafi says she's just hitching a ride. She's not joining the mission. She just needs to get to Free Cloud. So she's going to come with them. And of course, I'm not sure how much we believe that she won't stick around, but at the same time, it, it does raise the question, what does she have to do on free cloud that's separate from the mission to find Bruce Maddox? So I, I just think the crew that they introduced was really cool. And even the, the little ship that they are on Rios's ship is pretty cool. It's a, it's a small craft, certainly nothing as big as the USS enterprise, but it's kind of scrappy. It reminds me a little bit of, the ship in dark matter. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. And, and again, how can it not conjure up images like that? Even firefly. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any smaller ship, it just kind of gives it a little more homey feel. (laughs) So, and and that has that kind of ragtag crew, as you said. Yeah. Well, Rios totally makes me think of a Han Solo character. So it's definitely reminiscent of a lot of these types of characters. I mean, it's, it's like the crew of the Andromeda or, or something like that, you know? So the question then also becomes, why do the Jad Vash think of Soji as the destroyer, as she's called at the very end of episode three? And how does this Romulan XB, and I love how they call the X Borgs. I think that's what XB stands for. (laughs) How does the Romulan know who she is? She talks about meeting her tomorrow. She already knows who she is tomorrow. And I thought that was a very weird reference. And in fact, Soji herself isn't even sure how she knew to ask the questions that she asked of the Romulan XB. So clearly some aspects of her quote unquote activated self are starting to creep out by the end of episode three. Right. Why do they think of her as the destroyer? Clearly because they don't know their agents of shield and they're confusing her with quake. (laughs) Exactly. The destroyer of worlds. But Yeah, I just thought that was a nice little tease because if you think about it, we always talk about the first two episodes for all of our show topics, but every once in a while we'll talk about episode three. We we put this one in the spoiler zone just because it was so recent, but really the first three episodes are setting up this series and really the adventure is going to start in episode four. You can kind of tell, and that's been the case for a couple of the different show topics we've had over the past few months where we added on episode three for that very reason. Right. But I think for me, it conjures up again. I mean, I kind of joked about agents of shield, but are we looking at some sort of time travel kind of thing that, that we know in the future you will destroy yeah, whatever planet. And all right, if we're going down that road, uh, count me in. Exactly. And of course they already introduced the time travel aspect of things with the Star Trek reboot in 2009. And we already mentioned that that's part of the references that are made here. So they certainly could bring it into play if they wanted to. But the other big mystery that Soji's questioning of this XB also brings up is why did the encounter with this Romulan ship that this XB was part of, was a member of the crew of, why did that encounter cause the cube to disconnect itself from the Borg Collective. Because something about that final encounter must have been impactful enough for the Collective to just cast it off 
like so much junk. You know, they wouldn't just discard an entire cube for no reason. So that's definitely something that's going to have to be investigated as well. And clearly there's something about the Borg technology and perhaps the artificial intelligence aspect of the Borg, which you kind of feel as a machine species as well, might have something to do with the Jadvash mission as well, because Rizzo, I'm not sure what else to call her, (laughs) Rizzo does mention that she's wondering where the rest of her abominations are. So the last question I have here on my list, although I have one other after this, why does Soji fall asleep at the end of episode three when she's calling her mother to check on Dodge? Because Narek walks in and we don't really get to understand why she nodded off so suddenly. And so I'm expecting her to activate. But then when Narek comes in, she's just kind of like, hmm, well, that's curious. And he confesses to her that he's falling in love with her. And because of the interaction that Narek has with his sister and how she's urging him to take more decisive action rather than being patient and laying back, I'm wondering if Narek actually is falling in love with Soji. And I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happened despite his mission. Yeah, I would be all for that. I, you know, I love a good ship. You know that. Yeah, they've got chemistry. <laughs> uh, but I, I had to add a, mentally add a question to my notes here because since we are in the spoiler zone, I can mention that we do have quite a few Star Trek The Next Generation cast members and one Voyager cast member coming up as cameos or perhaps more than cameos. And I'm really wondering as a final question, how they're going to become involved because there's going to be, you know, Marina Sirtis as counselor Troy. There's going to be Riker coming on board, Jonathan Frakes. And of course, Jerry Ryan as seven of nine has to be involved in a Borg plot, even though she's from Voyager and not the next generation. So can't wait to see how those characters become involved later on. Thank you to David, who warned me that I had accidentally posted a spoilery image for the promo for this podcast on the Facebook group, because it did have Jerry Ryan in that image, which I thought was an interesting choice on the part of the show. But I guess they do want to promote the fact that they are going to be bringing back these characters that we remember from the 90s. Yeah, of course. And I wonder if Jonathan Frakes is going to direct any of the episodes. Yeah, that's become his bread and butter lately, right? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Librarians for for one that comes immediately yeah. to mind. Yeah, lots of genre fare and other stuff as well. So it will be great to see them when they show up. But in the meantime, I'm really enjoying this story and the setup that they've created here is great. They're about to head off on a space adventure. We've been planet side for quite a bit of time and now it might even become more recognizable. And we even have had the... Star Trek The Next Generation theme poke its head up every now and then, which kind of brings some nostalgia to the forefront. But really enjoying Star Trek Picard. I hope you guys are out there as well. Uh, Definitely a step up in my mind from Star Trek Discovery, which CBS All Access had started with. And I think this maybe will bring some more people into their subscription service. But we'll see. Yeah. And maybe I liked it more than I thought I did. Uh, Not enough to subscribe (laughs) to CBS All Access, but, um, you know, as we talked about it, there's a lot to like here. Right. And I'm sure some people were at least able to check out the premiere on YouTube, which CBS All Access sent out there for free to hook people in. But uh, we actually are going to be heading back to Netflix next week. We've got an interview that uh, we've actually already recorded 
with the new showrunner of Altered Carbon, right, Dave? Yeah, Allison Shapker, and she's going to preview season two for us. It is absolutely 100% spoiler-free. Altered Carbon season two is going to drop on Netflix February 27th. I cannot wait. Yes, I'm going to be reviewing this one as well. I'll have a spoiler-free review up for you at some point on the website, perhaps at the time the interview releases. We'll see. But that's going to be next week on Sci-Fi Fidelity. But that's it for this episode. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. And be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics, either on social media or in an email that can go to Sci-Fi Fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.